You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the yesteryear sounds and the mysteries involved on radio station TMM, Terry's Mysterious Moments, coming to you from Texas. And this is Terry. Hey, everybody. Since I'm going to be talking about celebrities, and in particular celebrities who have died in plane crashes, I decided to go with the radio promo. What does it sound like? Let me know. Meanwhile, let's get on with the show. As you may well know, that piece of music is called In the Mood, and it's done by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Glenn Miller was a very famous band leader in the 30s and 40s. He went missing during World War II, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. A story from 2014 may lay to rest the mystery regarding the, the death of band leader Glenn Miller when he was lost during World War II amidst suspicious circumstances or curious circumstances and he was the he has been the subject of many conspiracy theories since then there was a man named Dennis Sprague who is a senior consultant to the Glenn Miller archive at the University of Colorado in Boulder and according to his research there have been found military documents that were in public uh, domain that indicate the small plane in which Glenn Miller was likely traveling when he disappeared in 1944 very probably crashed into the English Channel after fuel intakes froze. Mr. Sprague described the plane and its parts freezing in three steps. Part was the outer body of the plane, 
no the control surfaces were frozen couldn't move them there was another part that i can't remember exactly what he was talking about but then the third step was that the fuel intakes froze which meant no gas got to the engine no gas to the engine no engine flying plane crash these three steps of the different parts of the airplane freezing were the nails in the coffin is you if you will for major glenn miller his pilot john morgan and a Lieutenant Colonel Norman Bessell, B-A-E-S-S-E-L-L. -L. They disappeared over the English Channel that night. In the late 30s, Glenn Miller was a very famous band leader, and he had hits such as Tuxedo Junction, the, the aforementioned In the Mood, he did a string of pearls and a lot of different songs that were popular with very possibly many of your grandparents if not your parents uh, if you're my age it would be your parents probably Glenn Miller had so many hit songs Chattanooga Choo Choo and if you've never listened to the big bands I would urge you to find music by Glenn Miller particularly to listen because it may open your mind up to some very beautiful music, just lovely stuff. Glenn Miller was too old to have been drafted for World War II, but he decided to join anyway for morale purposes. He figured that many of his band members were being drafted into the Army, so he might as well draft the band into the Army. Miller joined the Army Air Force or the Army Air Corps as it may have been and signed up out of patriotism and and the fact that he could go with his band. He became a major in the US Army Air Force's band and he led musical broadcasts from England and it was meant to boost troop morale. He also participated, it is said, in anti-Nazi propaganda. In some recordings, Miller speaks German, phonetically pronouncing words for a German audience. Such broadcasts, combined with Miller's work alongside British actor David Niven, Sprague says, emboldened theorists to assert that Miller had been a spy for the Allies and was perhaps assassinated. There were other entertainers at the time, including dancer Josephine Baker. You'll remember the, the African-American lady who danced in, in Paris, and she did some really wild dances, but she was very popular. She did covert work for the Americans and the Allies during World War II. Yet there's no substantial proof that David Niven served for a short time in an elite British military unit or worked as a spy with Miller, Sprague says. Sprague is quoted as saying, there is a difference between broadcasting music or information to the enemy from England, as opposed to being clandestine agents in the field, running around the continent, putting yourself at risk. Personally, I remember one strange theory that floated around years back, that Glenn Miller was a victim of karma. He apparently had been involved in, shall we say, a romantic dalliance and had suffered a dalliance interruptus in extremis. In other words, he died during the event.
in order to keep the shame from both his family and from the public which considered him a national hero. His corpse was loaded into a plane and a pilot was ordered to go out over the English Channel and ditch the plane, thus making Miller's body unrecoverable. But like I said, that was just one story and that was back in the 70s when I heard that one. So anyway, another theory and one that's more widely accepted, although it does have its detractors, is that the plane Miller was flying was destroyed by friendly fire. That theory was first proposed in the 1980s as intriguing evidence about the Norseman plane came to light. It was discovered that 138 planes returning from an aborted ally bombing raid disposed of their unused bombs over the English Channel. And the theory, as it follows, is that one bomb hit Miller's plane causing it to crash. Citing U.S. Army Air Force records, Sprague says the timing of when the planes were over the channel rules out that theory. Whatever the truth of the matter is, Glenn Miller and his plane never arrived in Paris for a show that they were to give. They left England and flat disappeared over the English Channel. It took nine days for both CBS and the BBC to report that the plane and its three occupants were missing. Due to certain information that Sprague had uncovered, and he found out that this, these bits of information were not shared with the public, Sprague says that he launched into an investigation in 2009 at the request of Miller's son, Stephen Davis Miller, who unfortunately passed away in 2012. Quoting Sprague, Steve was pretty much fed up with having spent most of his adult life dealing with conspiracy theories. And he said, I trust you to take the ball on this thing and go with it. And if you want to do it, will you please go study this situation, go anywhere you need to go, open any files you need to open, ask for permission to go anywhere you can, but find out what really happened. Even though he did extensive study into this and found these reports that were available to the public, I'm not really sure that this mystery is actually solved. Crazy I'm crazy for feeling so lonely Crazy for feeling so blue I knew you'd love me as long as you wanted Ah, the stirring sounds of Miss Patsy Cline Like many artists with her legendary status Patsy Cline's career ended much too soon. Patsy was born in 1932 in Winchester, Virginia. Just over 30 years later, Patsy tragically perished in a plane crash in Camden, Tennessee. 
Her hits such as Walking After Midnight, Crazy, She's Got You, and I Fall to Pieces are still listened to by Patsy's many fans all over the world over 50 years since her passing. Patsy's current fan base is a testament to how decorated her career was, despite it being short-lived. In fact, she is widely known for being one of the first women to dominate the country charts and to break the glass ceiling in the country genre. Of course, Patsy's status as a beloved figure only makes her early death even more of a tragedy. However, there is some evidence suggesting that Patsy would not have been too surprised by her passing. Eerily, it seems as though Patsy predicted her own demise long before it happened. Patsy Cline began performing at a young age, quickly gaining attention for her smooth and expressive voice. She was one of three children, but her parents' marriage didn't last. Patsy dropped out of high school to help support her mother and siblings, which of course included making some money playing music. Her early life was a tough scramble to make ends meet, but someone upstairs was looking out for this future country music star. Patsy started performing in a variety show just to make a little bit of money, though she developed a following in no time. Soon, radio DJs were booking her on their shows, and she gained an even bigger fan base. Barbara Hall, the maker of a documentary on Klein's life, once said, This woman, who barely had an 8th grade education, came from a single-parent home, worked to make ends meet to help feed the family, and still figured out how to work the music business. By 1961, Klein was performing on stage at the Grand Ole Opry and had earned her place at the table in Music City with her male peers. Country Living Magazine alleges that Patsy's friends Loretta Lynn and June Carter Cash have said that Klein, quote, had an eerie sense of her own impending death, unquote. If you'll remember an episode I did several months back about the singer Johnny Horton, one of his friends was also Johnny Cash, and another man, I think it was Merle Kilgore, they were into seeking out what happens after you die. So I'm wondering if June might have had the same interests as her husband Johnny did, if they believed in this. In a 1993 documentary called Remembering Patsy, she wrote a friend saying, It's wonderful, but what do I do for 63? It's getting so even Patsy can't follow Patsy. It's also reported that Patsy had told fellow singer Ray Walker, Honey, I've had two bad ones, referring to car accidents. The third one will either be a charm or it'll kill me. The day she died, Patsy was performing at a concert to benefit the family of her friend, Cactus Jack Hall, who had died in a car crash. That day, she also performed alongside her longtime friend, Dottie West, who had once rushed to her side after a near-fatal car accident. Dottie knew that Patsy had an ominous sense of doom and begged her not to fly home due to bad weather in the area, but to drive instead. Fatefully, Patsy chose to fly anyway. On March 3, 1963, Patsy was on a plane being piloted by her manager, 
Randy Hughes. They were on their way back to Nashville from a concert in Kansas City, Missouri, when the small plane got caught in an intense rainstorm. The plane crashed, taking with it the lives of everyone on board. The site in Camden, Tennessee, is still a site of pilgrimage for Patsy's fans. Luckily, and even a bit spookily, Patsy had just finalized her will just months before she was killed. It instructed that her young children be left in the care of her friends. In the months before she died, Patsy had also begun to distribute prized possessions to friends and family. Patsy is remembered today for her pioneering role as a woman in country music and for being taken from us too soon. Even though Patsy has been gone from us for over 50 years, there are those of us who still love her music and wish she were still around. I'm a traveling man, made a lot of stops all over the Actor-singer Rick Nelson died on December 31, 1985, when the plane he was riding in crashed outside of DeKalb, Texas. He was born Eric Hilliard Nelson on May 8, 1940. He became an American rock and roll star. He was a musician. He was a singer-songwriter. He was an actor. From the age of eight, he starred in the radio and television series with his family, The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, with his parents, Ozzie and Harriet Nelson, and his brother, David. 1957, he was 17 years old. He began a long and successful career as a popular recording artist. Being one of the top teen idols of the 1950s led to him having a role in the movie Rio Bravo alongside John Wayne and Dean Martin where he and Dean Martin shared a song called My Rifle, My Pony and Me. It was not a great acting job but he did well enough to be noticed about it and it was it was good. It was a, a great movie. I loved it. I still watch it all the time and he placed 53 songs on the Billboard Hot 100 between 1957 and 1973, including the song Poor Little Fool in 1958, which became the very first number one song on Billboard magazine's then newly created Hot 100 chart. He recorded 19 additional top 10 hits and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on January 21, 1987. In 1996, he was ranked 49 on TV Guide's 50 Greatest TV Stars of All Time. Ricky met and married Sharon Kristen Harmon, daughter of Tom Harmon and sister of actor Mark Harmon. They had together four children, Tracy, Christine, twin sons Gunnar Eric and Matthew Gray, and Sam Hilliard. Tracy, you will remember, was in the TV show Square Pegs, 
and in the Father Dowling Mysteries, among others, twin sons Gunnar and Matthew sang together. But anyway, they divorced uh, in 1982. Anyway, Ricky was one of the first singing stars to come up with a video. Of, I think this was at his father's urging. And started singing songs that had a video background to them. I remember the song that I had at the beginning of this, Traveling Man, showed scenes of ports and places all around the world according to what was in the song. On May 8, 1961, which was Rick's 21st birthday, he officially modified his recording name from Ricky Nelson, as a child, to Rick Nelson, as an adult. His childhood nickname proved hard to shake, though, especially among the generation who had watched him grow up on Ozzy and Harriet. Even in the 1980s, when he realized his dream of meeting Carl Perkins, Perkins noted that he and Ricky were the last of the rockabilly breed. In the mid-1960s, Nelson began to move toward country music. He became a pioneer in the country rock genre. He was one of the early influences on the so-called California sound, which would include singers like Jackson Brown or Linda Ronstadt and bands such as the Eagles. Yet, Nelson did not himself reach the top 40 again until 1970, when he recorded Bob Dylan's She Belongs to Me with the Stone Canyon Band, featuring Randy Meisner, who in 1971 became a founding member of the Eagles, and former Buckaroo steel guitarist Tom Brumley, who had played with Buck Owens. In 1972, Rick reached the top 40 one last time with Garden Party, a song he wrote in disgust after a Richard Nader oldies concert at Medicine Square Garden where the audience booed him because he felt he was playing new songs instead of just his old hits. When he performed the Rolling Stones' Honky Talk Women, he was booed off the stage. He was watching the rest of the performance on a TV monitor backstage until Richard Nader finally convinced Nelson to return to the stage and play his oldies. He returned to the stage and played his oldies and the audience responded with applause, according to Deborah Nader, president of Richard Nader Entertainment. He wanted to record an album of original material, but the, sing the single was released before the album because Nelson had not completed the entire Garden Party album yet. Garden Party reached number six on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart and was certified as a gold single. The second single released from the album was Palace Guard, which only peaked at number 65. Life moved on for Rick. Touring was the deal, was the life. Uh, he had gotten divorced from Chris. And it said that in 1980, Nelson met a woman named Helen Blair, who was a part-time model and an animal trainer in Las Vegas. And she became his traveling companion. In 1982, she moved in with him. And in, she was the only woman he dated after his divorce from Chris. In 1985, Nelson began a comeback tour with Fats Domino. He put the Y back on his name and became Ricky again. He sang the songs for which he was famous and released a greatest hits album, Ricky Nelson, All My Best. 
His comeback was cut short when, while on the tour circuit, his plane crashed on New Year's Eve. Nelson dreaded flying but refused to travel by bus. In May of 85, he decided he needed a private plane and paid $118,000 for a 14-seat 1944 Douglas DC-3, tail number Y that had once belonged to the DuPont family and later to Jerry Lee Lewis. The plane had a plagued mechanical history. In one incident, the band was forced to push the plane off the runway after an engine blew, and in another incident, a malfunctioning magneto kept Nelson from participating in the first Farm Aid concert in Champaign, Illinois. On December 26th, 1985, Nelson and the band left for a three-stop tour of the southern United States, following shows in Orlando, Florida and Guntersville, Alabama. Nelson and band members took off from Guntersville for a New Year's Eve extravaganza in Dallas, Texas. The plane crash-landed northeast of Dallas in DeKalb, Texas, in a cow pasture less than two miles from a landing strip at approximately 5.14 p.m. CST on December 31, 1985. It hit trees on its way down. Seven of the nine occupants were killed. Nelson and his companion Helen Blair, bass guitarist Patrick Woodward, drummer Rick Enfelt, keyboardist Andy Chapin, guitarist Bobby Neal, and road manager sound man Donald Clark Russell. Pilots Ken Ferguson and Brad Rank escaped by a cockpit windows, although Ferguson was severely burned. I remember that night, my fiance, now my wife, Karen, and I were at my mother's house in Lexington, Texas, and we were staying up, up late because it was New Year's Eve. We had been out popping firecrackers and just having a good time watching TV, and all of a sudden they made this announcement several hours after the crash but they announced that Rick Nelson had died in a plane crash. And it really affected me because I like Rick Nelson. I liked his music. I'm sorry that he passed away so early. He had much more to give, I'm sure. So did the other band members. And it's just, that's a personal note to me that somebody's death can touch you, even if you don't know them. Many celebrities have died as a result of plane crashes. It is sad. Many of them left too soon. Some others who have passed away and we need to give acknowledgement to were such as John Denver, Buddy Holly, Richie Valenzuela, or Richie Valens, if you will, the Big Bopper, J.P. Richardson, Otis Redding, Jim Reeves, Several members of the band Leonard Skinnerd, actor Dean Paul Martin, who was Dean's son, singer Jim Croce, he of the Bad Bad Leroy Brown fame, and Christians are not immune to this situation. 1982 Christian singer Keith Green and two of his children and several members of another family were killed in a plane crash. Christian Prime Minister of Humor, Grady Nutt, 
who had been on Hee Haw for several years, telling comedy, comedy stories about when he was a pastor. And yes, he really was a pastor. And of course, we have to remember Audie Murphy, the top decorated soldier of World War II, actor and Texas native. And I want to do a little personal note talking about Grady Nutt. When Grady and his wife, who was his fiance at the time, were dating, they went to Baylor University up in Waco. And my wife's parents were at Baylor at the same time, uh, underclassmen to the other two. And Grady's then-girlfriend, future wife, was dormitory big sister to my mother-in-law. No, we're not immune to death, sudden death, quick death, unexpected death. But it's only unexpected for us. We miss those who have gone on. We wish they were still around to provide us joy and music and laughter. But they're not here anymore. But we won't forget them. Uh, names that will live probably through the ages. Not that they were great people, but they were entertainers and they entertained us and we liked them. Well, thank you for listening this week to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I hope you enjoyed the show. I would like to know from you, uh, hear from you at Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Remind